podcast very special very very special show we have for the first time ever two amazing guests and i'm gonna just go in and introduce them right now uh we have dirk tillison who is the founder and executive director of the nonprofit great schools choices which supports community-based charter school development and increasing access for underserved families he's worked for over 20 years supporting mostly charter community schools in oakland new orleans New York City, and he's even consulted on education issues in the Middle East. And we also have Dr. Brian Stanley. He joined Hamilton Families in May 2018 with a deep passion for the Bay Area children and their families. Brian was recently uh, the executive director of the Oakland Public Education Fund. And previously, Brian worked in a number of roles at the San Francisco Education Fund, where he refined and strengthened program strategy, used data to deepen impact, and led the implementation of two strategic plans. So we have two folks that have been experts in the world of education. They are joining us today because there are strikes happening across the country, and Oakland is set and due to strike. So we wanted to bring on some folks that were at the core of that work. And to just explain to us what was going on so we can engage in conversation about it. Gentlemen, everybody, welcome. How you all doing? Thank you. All right. So we got the whole crew. So let's just jump right in. Um, The first question for for just Dirk and and, and Brian, like, how did Oakland get into this educational crisis? And, And Dirk, why don't you start us off? Like, what is the situation in Oakland? And from your take, how did we get here? So I, I guess I'd say what crisis? Um, there's a lot of crises in Oakland. There's a crisis financial um, that's leading to the strike. There's an educational crisis that's been here since the beginning of time. Um, there's an equity crisis that has gotten a little bit narrower in the gaps, but still has yawning gaps. And there's a crisis of will in actually changing the system to really serve the families that need it the most. Um, but I'd say how we got to the strike place um, on the short, and this is a place we've been in multiple times before, um, on same type of conditions that brought us here. We have more, we have 12,000 empty seats in our schools. Um, we don't have that many high quality schools. Many families leave the district. We're in a state that underfunds education. We have a lot of high needs kids. And overall, that we don't say no to anything in Oakland. So we have a lot of half done ideas and not a lot of great schools and not a lot of money and not enough money to meet all our needs. Brian, you want to chime in? Sure. Um, you know, I think the the path for how Oakland got here um, starts really in the uh, you know late 60s, early 70s, when um, as the city began to diversify, white folks left. Um, and really, Oakland had uh, some pretty significant enrollment declines, going from 69,000 students in uh, school year 6970 uh, down to about 48,000 students in 1980. And they kept about 100 schools through that whole time period. And really, um, from that point forward, 
Uh, I think from that point to 2000, they got it up to around 54, 55,000 students, about 2000. And then they interstate receivership. Uh, a number of choices were made to uh, expand the number of, of schools or small schools opened up all over the city. Um, and uh, as well as charters uh, began to expand um, because people were looking for other options because the existing schools were not meeting their needs. And uh, today we have about 86 or so uh, OUSD managed schools serving with 35,000 or so kids plus or minus. Uh, and that ratio is off and that ratio has been off for a really long time. Uh, and that has been work that has needed to uh, have been addressed and it has not. And we've reached this point where uh, the district uh, is under some pretty significant pressure from the state to get its fiscal house in order, which really means making the difficult choices around school, um, school closures and consolidations uh, to do that now or the state uh, or county will come in and do that uh, with uh, far less concern for uh, what is good for kids and families and much more focus on getting the bottom line condition fixed. So that's how we got here uh, in terms of the financial crisis. So, so quick question before we go to the second question, just for clarification yes, for the listeners, what, what is receivership? Because I know there may be some listeners that don't know uh, uh, California. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's good. So uh, that's state takeover. So it basically means that the state or County, uh, the appropriate uh, uh, supervising authority, will appoint a person to act as the state act as the administrator for the system. Uh, the school board uh, is, is, is placed in an advisory position and the state administrator can essentially do, you know, uh, whatever they want uh, to improve the fiscal condition. So if they say we need to close five elementary schools, here are the five elementary schools I'm closing, uh, that's it. There's no got to go back to the board and have a conversation about it. It's just done. Uh, and um, that has been a both uh, that has been a thing that folks have wanted to avoid ever since Oakland came out of state control um, in the early 2010s. Um, and so sort of the desire to avoid that has actually led to tons of other decisions that have kept us in this position for a very long time. And just for our panel, for our normal uh, A Black Hands crew, are there any other because y'all are the national audience that's not here in Oakland. So. Are there any other questions to help kind of paint the picture of where we are so we can frame this conversation? Yeah, can um, I would say, could you say a little bit more about the 12,000 empty seats as well as how many charters are actually there? You said 86 traditional schools um, that has, so that's the average of what, and 35 students, so that's the average of 400 something kids per, per school, but there's also 12,000 empty seats. Um, so if they're going somewhere, including charters, how many charters are there? I think there's 38 charters right now in Oakland. I'd have to check the actual number. 15 some thousand kids that don't go to a charter school or a district school in Oakland, they're school aged. Um, so there is a large influx of kids to private schools. There's a district where roughly half the kids um, go to private school in middle and high school, um, a one of the sub-districts within Oakland. And so, yeah, they're, you know, they haven't done the hard, they haven't wanted to close schools um, because it is politically tough in Oakland. Um, and it's hard to move to city council when you're known as a school board member to close schools. Um, any other district, when they look at their own analysis of school size and whether it is actually efficient to run a school, um, I think about 30% of their schools met the criteria for being the efficient size to run a school. 
um, but it's the political cost of trying to close a school that people have kicked that can, can down the road um, for years. And now that bill has come and due um, and the state is sitting over our shoulder and saying this bill is really coming due. So, and again, charters that, you know, there's charters that pay $2,000 per kid for private facilities while there's district schools that should have empty. Um, so I think that's another issue out there um, that should be addressed. Mm -hmm. And just to answer your question, Sharif, the actual number of OUSD authorized schools, just so you know, for the national audience, we have three different sets of authorizers here in Oakland. So it could be authorized locally by the school district. If they don't get it there, they can go to the county and get authorized. And then finally, if they don't get it there, they can go to the state. So the number of of, of OUSD authorized charters that we have this year uh, currently sits at 34. So we have 87 district run schools and 34 district authorized charters. Um, and it's really important to note, like Dirk said, that of those 87 schools, many of those schools are not full. Um, some of those schools are sitting half empty, right? So just to kind of give you the numbers, that's a lot of schools for as many as we got. Right. So have, have there been any discussions about co-location uh, considering the amount of empty schools? So there are co-locations. There is a law here that basically says charters should have access to facilities and a reasonably equivalent about access to facilities um, that other public school students get. Um, the reality is that it's just it's very difficult um to negotiate with the district and they'll give you five different sites across the district and say that's even reasonably equivalent you know your library's here your gym's here you get three classrooms here three here so it's really an offer you can't accept mm -hmm. um and so they're being sued over that they've been being sued over that for years but i think they've just kind of put their foot in and saying we'd rather fight about it um than try to cooperate around it even though that it could be a source of revenue for them as well um, there are a few co-located schools um, that have worked out deals, but the majority are, are privately located um, or in or many, many, several of our schools are conversions um, from district schools um, that left during the small schools movement and went charter and they kept their buildings. Um, but all the other ones are basically in private uh, with a few co-locations. So it's so not from like um, it's been very contentious. You know, ahead, from, a distance, uh, from a distance, this is going to be played out the same way it's played out uh, in other places, which is the teachers are going to say that they want smaller class sizes, they want better mm -hmm. pay, um, and they want an end to the proliferation of uh, competing schools, which they say are draining the district and causing the, the money problems. Um, and, and what I want to know is, you know, there locally and, and elsewhere is really the idea that's being pitched to the public that if we just got rid of charter schools, um, there would be a whole bunch more money come in, instruction would get better, and suddenly achievement would go through the roof? I just got to address that a little bit on a couple of Before the charters were here, Oakland was broke and, and going into receivership multiple times. In the 80s, it did it, it did it when there were almost no charters here. So it ran a deficit um, per child before there was a charter here. Um, and I actually did look back to what I call the BC era before charters, in a, a very early <laughs> stage. Um, and here's what we had back then um, in terms of college qualification. You need to take the A through G requirement to even apply to the University of California system or the California state system. Um, this is the 1998 cohort graduation rates. 
7% of freshmen in the entire system could apply to UC or, or CSU. Only 3% of African-American students, um, three out of every 100 black freshmen graduated on time from city schools with enough credits to get into college. Three out of 100. We're out in the 30s right now, um, which is still pathetic, but three out of 100. And that was before charters got here? That was 1999. So there were like three charters at that point. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and achievement still wasn't through the roof. So now here we are in, uh, you know, 2019, quite a time later. And it doesn't sound like any of the fight or the discussion is actually about instruction of children, like improving um, actual what happens in, in classrooms. So where is that discussion in all of this? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think that's that to me is a central question that often gets lost. Uh, that the discourse very much tends to be about let's talk about equitable outcomes for Black and Brown children when it is uh, politically necessary to get other wins, um, wins that that clearly have not demonstrated impact on improving outcomes for Black and Brown children. The outcomes have been the same. They've been the same since since at least the 60s, which is the earliest data point I can find, um, which says something that, you know, in the richest region, the richest state, and the richest country the world has ever seen, uh, I still can't get more than one in four uh, Black boys to graduate high school qualified to, for entrance into the state university system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think, <clears throat> I think it strikes me that the, uh, that the real question of, the, you know, how interested in the educational outcomes of black and brown children are we really? Um, We've never really been particularly interested uh, at sort of the system level, right? There are pockets where people are are into it. There are pockets of excellence. There are pockets where folks are being innovative, trying new things, learning and really targeting how do we move, how do we move the boat? Um, But the reality is that the whole system is actually uh, as I often say, it's, it is exquisitely des- it is exquisitely designed to get the results it's producing, uh, and that is sort of my quandary. I don't I don't know what it takes uh, to to sort of durably shift uh, as a city as a community what we think about um, you know our our real our deep commitment to uh, supporting and transforming outcomes for Black and Brown children. I just I don't think the will is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, OUC's budget is $600 million. We can argue public schools need more money. I'm good with that argument, uh, but we should not pretend that $600 million is somehow chump change. Uh, if I had $600 million in my bank account, I'd be a very happy man. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I, you know <laughs> we can sort of continue to play this game where, uh, where it's easy for us to make, to sort of list off all kinds of really good excuses and explanations for why 80% of black boys are not ready for high school in eighth grade, why 90% of African-American Latino boys are not proficient in math. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up, hold up, hold up. What did you say about the number of black boys ready for high school in eighth grade? Yeah, so we in Oakland uh, have a really great data website. It's one of the things I was very proud to help fund. Well, and then also might get chopped, just FYI. I would be very, I would be crushed, uh, which, is, which is actually, just the brief aside, the thing, one of the things about Oakland Unified is they don't really hide the data. It's all there. So people say, oh, I didn't know. It's because you chose not to look. Uh, and you should ask yourself why you chose not to look. Anyway, so yeah, um, there is uh, on the district's uh, OUSDdata.org website, there is a, a, a dashboard for high school readiness, which is 
which assesses grades, attendance, that is, are you chronically absent or not, um, uh, uh, grades in particular classes, uh, attendance, and have you been suspended? I think there's one more variable in there. And generally, the more of those things are true, the more likely it is that you'll struggle in high school. Uh, and we use a similar tool in San Francisco, and that actually became the data that school sites were directed to use to say, go after these kids the second they show up on your campus, uh, get them in programs, get them in uh, outreach and engagement. Um, and in Oakland, it's not clear we use that data for much of anything. Um, but that said, the data reports routinely that, 70, that 75, 80, 85, 90% of black boys at any given time uh, who are in eighth grade about to enter high school are not actually ready for high school. Uh, and what that data says is that they have an astronomically a higher rate of dropout, astronomically higher rate of failure in the first semester. Um, so all the bad triggers, all the bad outcomes are predicted. So, so let I, me ask you, let me, I, as an educator, I got to jump in as K to 12. What the hell are they doing from grades K to seven? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you the uh, elementary I reading. Way to ask the question: Are they going to school in those early grades? I mean, they are. I mean, um, <laughs> I, I think what the data shows in Oakland <clears throat> is that there's generally a bubble of kids that start out behind. Uh, maybe first grade is actually their first formal schooling experience. Uh, maybe they have absurdly high rates of chronic absence uh, uh, for any number of understandable reasons, right? Whether it's health issues, whether it's trauma from the community, whatever. But the babies ain't going to school. Um, we know that in our highest needs school communities, this is all north, this is all pretty common across the country. Uh, entirely too many new teachers are showing up every six weeks. Uh, kids have long-term substitutes, so on and so forth. Um, and so those kids never actually... They never actually catch up because they're not actually at the same starting point. Uh, and then as you move through the system, that, you know, more kids just sort of get attached, just sort of just get attached to that bubble. And so essentially it's the same kids, the same kids that were struggling in K through three are struggling in middle school and are dropping out or barely passing or not passing well high school. Um, yeah, but it, it becomes generational though. It, it becomes, is, Absolutely. Yeah, because of those kids that are suffering and struggling to get out of high school, they're now having kids, yep. and their kids are going through the same struggles as they were. So, so has Oakland ever talked about universal pre-K? Uh, yes, uh, there was a ballot initiative it that failed. just failed. Uh, different conversation why it failed. Um, around universal pre-K, the county had one around universal pre-K. Um, there, uh, there was been quite a bit of actually real, I think some real improvement in the child development centers and sort of other early, um, early grade schooling options, um, for families in Oakland. But yeah, there's been a lot of talk about that. I think the governor also, excuse me, has a proposal, uh, coming up about that as well. Yeah. And I want to bring Sharif in too, but I also want to make sure that, so we are on the precipice of a teacher strike happening and I want to give... This is exactly what the teacher said that they wanted to. Um, I want to make sure that we bring it to the conversation what they said that they want to get out the strike. Mm -hmm. So the background is the OUSD Teachers Union, which is called the Oakland Education Association or the OEA, uh, overwhelmingly voted to authorize the strike. According to the SF Chronicle, the OEA is demanding the following. Uh, 
They want a 12% raise. Uh, OUSD teachers start at $46,500 and the average salary is $63,100. They want smaller class sizes. OUSD has the second highest student to teacher ratio amongst California districts with more than uh, 20,000 students. Uh, The union had its most massive turnout ever for a vote with eight out of 10 teachers casting a vote. Uh, And the strike was authorized overwhelmingly with a 95% vote from teachers. And what was missing from those articles and that research was the planned ask of the union for a charter moratorium uh, similar to LAUSD. Uh, A charter moratorium is also expected to be asked for in Denver. Uh, And so while the strike is seeking better conditions for teachers, it is also an aggressive move against education reform on a larger scale in charter schools as well. So, uh, Reef, I want to make sure I'm I'm able to pull you in with some of the thoughts. But now that we got all the information out there, now that we know what's kind of happening and we're seeing there there have been two wildcat strikes. Wildcat strikes are um, walkouts that happen that's not authorized by the union. So we, we've had two of them in Oakland. Uh, now let's jump into it, fellas. So what, what are your thoughts? And Sharif, you can lead us off into the, and, and jump us off in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fir- first thing that comes to mind is like all of the conversations, you know, I, if someone can prove to me that a moratorium on charters will improve student outcomes, then it's a very different conversation. Right. But, it, you know, as, as Dirk, already uh, uh, mentioned as well as Doc, like this has been ongoing from the 50s, the 60s that, you know, Black Panther Party was starting independent schools for for a reason. Right. And so we have this situation where people want to ignore all of that. And, you know, um, it's, it's how Americans have been raised. Right. Like you need to create a boogeyman, whether it's Russia, whether it's Muslims, whether it's black people, whether it's charters. Right. And so, like, if families are are like opting out what, what the conversation should really be like hey we're all going on strike until all these schools improve mm-hmm. and we talked about you know what i'm very curious about is like okay the state is about to hijack the district the teachers are about to hijack the district what are black families saying about this you know this looming issue i think they're scared um they worry what's going to happen inside the schools when there aren't teachers there um you can see they're they're circulating um, Craigslist ads for people to, to come in who haven't taken any teaching credentialing at all um, to come in and kind of babysit. Um, so I think Charles was around as a student during the last strike. And so I think people know what that experience is for students. I'd love to hear from you, Charles, on what it was like for you, because um, I think that's what people are thinking about who are there for. They support the teachers and think they should get more. But at the same time, they're worried. Yeah, so I, I I grew up here in Oakland. I went to Hawthorne, Lafayette, and Westlake. And when I was at Westlake, we had one of the longest strikes ever. I think it was about five weeks. Um, I remember as a kid, like the subs would come out and walk us in, and we would be getting booed along with the the subs who were scabs. Um, it was it was it was kind of crazy. It was pandemonium inside. So there was like fights every day. I remember somebody getting stabbed. Um, I remember, I mean, there were like, I was, this is, at the time, Westlake was a junior high school, so that's seventh through ninth. Uh, there were kids having sex in the back. Um, if you've been to Oakland, Westlake, there's like a, a back stairwell that's connected to a door where folks was letting people sneak in, but it was people having sex back there. I mean, it was, it was kind of complete pandemonium, right? And so 
it wasn't an option for me to stay at home because both my parents were working. So I had to kind of go to school in that. And um, it, it, it was it was pretty wild uh, for my experience as a as a as a student here. And I know you asked. But- you got booed by educators on the outside and not protected by educators on the inside. Yeah, and I, I mean, and I think what people argue is that they weren't booing the kids per se, right? They were booing the scabs, quote unquote, that like were walking us in. I don't know who they were booing. I just know that there were boos as I was walking into school. And uh, and a lot of my friends just ended up cutting, right? They just come to school and they basketball stuff and then they just go to the park and just play basketball um, and do other stuff because there was nothing happening inside the building that was like, like it was probably safer or better to be out the building than it was to be in the building at Westlake in the mid-90s during the strike. Right, right. I, so based off of the results that, that that they get in the schools now, how is it safe to be in the schools now? <laughs> Even with the teachers there. I mean, actually, I feel like they shouldn't just walk out. I feel like they should walk out and not come back. Because I feel like if we could just get every black child in the city of Oakland an iPad, they might be better off until we find some qualified people. Now, listen, I'm not the one on the podcast that does all this. I love teachers nonsense that some of y'all Negroes like to do. But let's just... No, no, no. Teachers, te- effective teachers. We love them. Yes. Absolutely. Them. And that's a difference. That's teachers. a difference than what we're talking about right now. We're not talking about effective teachers. We're, we're talking about teachers that suck at being human. So here's 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 the thing right now. You y'all, can't got, stay y'all, y'all got y'all got 48,000 kids. 48,000 kids, six hundred and seven million dollars. You got like the majority of your kids are poor and kids of color. The majority of your teachers are white and probably don't have kids in the district. And of that, that the I other ones that aren't white, y'all they end up putting their kids in that district. You know wait, wait, wait a second now. And 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 the ones that ain't white, the next plurality of teachers are black teachers who who also probably don't have their districts, their kids in these district schools. So nobody else is going to call bullshit bullshit. But the problem is right here. This is this is a middle class war on the poor. We are trapping kids into situations that we know we don't want our own kids in and we would never allow our own kids to be in. We're walking them in these buildings and pretending like these are actually schools. They're not actually schools. These are like treatment centers for prison. These are, these are like starter prisons, basically like we have in many cities. Who stands up in Oakland and basically says, this math doesn't work? This is what I don't understand. Everywhere I see this exact same template. This template is in many cities, right? It's the same template. Y'all think it's special in Oakland. It's not. It's probably happening in many cities that look just like Oakland. Same template. What comes from the community? What does the community say? About I'm, 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 I'm going to throw it to Brian. And the reason why I'm going to throw it to Brian is because Brian, Brian has worked in education for a while, both in SFUSD and OUSD. And his kids actually are in the district. Um, and, and he's a doctor and he's, a we educator. found the one, we so, found the brother that put his, I'm gonna let Chris and Brian just have this moment because Brian, as a father, what are your responses to this stuff? I'm just asking. Thank, thank you, Charles. Thank you, gave, you, Charles. you gave us the numbers. Thank you, Charles. We got uh, the eloquent Negro. Yes. As daddy, Brian, <laughs> what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah. Thank you, Charles. Uh, so a couple different thoughts. I think. You know, the notion that um, that it is somehow a secret that schools in Oakland uh, do not produce outcomes that anybody should be, do not consistently put, produce outcomes for every child uh, that anybody should be very proud of is not is not a secret. 
Um, I think um, and you see this when you see protests. We just had a school district just close a Roots International Academy uh, in East Oakland, um, a school that was by all accounts of its data struggling and had been doing so for a long time, a school that grew out of the small schools movement, um, but it never really moved, it never was able to thrive uh, by the outcomes that we assess schools by uh, in, in our state. And yet folks were, I think, legitimately, uh, legitimately heartsick about losing a community that they love. So I think part of this is that uh, for lots of folks, schools uh, are places that are communities that are safe and affirming in ways that are important. And I think as educators, we can agree that is a necessary condition, but that is not sufficient. I think for some folks, it's like, I just want to place my baby where they're going to be safe and okay. Again, it's not my position, but I can empathize with those who take that stance. And I actually think it's the job of the educators uh, in the space to help uh, to really push people to reimagine and really raise their ambition for what their schools can do. And I think if, if anything, uh, one of the core issues in any place where, the, where, where what we think of as unique to Oakland uh, is also occurring, which is the extent to which there is just a lack of authentic urgency around uh, the outcomes for the children in the building, uh, I think uh, that's part of it, right? That people just are simply unwilling uh, to really challenge what is, to say what should be, and then really drive towards that. So I think that is a piece of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for my own kids, you know, we go to a, a, hill, a school in the hills. Uh, in Oakland, they're sort of, they're, the city's really divided into a couple different regions for all intents and purposes. You're either talking about hill schools or flatland schools. Flatland schools are the ones that people tend to say uh, are struggling. Hill schools are the ones that are both more white, more affluent, and the data would suggest their things are going better there. Um, and I think what I found uh, is that really K through three, it was pretty good. Uh, four or five, my older boy, I think we've had some experiences that uh, have been uh, have been a problem. Uh, and I think they're a problem both because he's black and because he's a boy. Uh, and I think for me as a, as a black father, um, there is a degree to which I think I assumed uh, that uh, both my class privilege and my access and my economic privilege would let me insulate my child from that in that system. And that, that I think has proven false. Um, and so my wife and I, as we debate about middle school, uh, we're looking at private middle school because I'm not interested in having some of the same nonsense go down some of the same ways. I fully expect there'll be some nonsense in private schools. I ain't stupid. Um, but we're definitely uh, much more attentive to that, particularly with our second child who's in the same school. So uh, it is definitely a struggle to figure out how you um, how to navigate the system uh, if you have black children. There's no question in my mind about that. How's, how's uh, that? Doc, you're not going to oh, go ahead, Chris. Well, just quickly, how does that happen that you guys in Oakland seem like the place where you invented kind of like this focus on black boys within a district? How does it happen that you're having this experience in a place where a lot of other districts look to you all and import you to their district to come teach us how to handle black boys? Yeah, you know, I think uh, a lot of the challenge is that it's in is that it's not the um, it's not the. You know, the, there can be a really rich conversation in a community about equity 
And then there's what happens every day. And it's really the structure of the system and the structure of the behaviors that are authorized in the culture of a given school community or given school system. So, uh, you know, live example, um, you know, my child uh, gets, you know, my kid, he's 11. He, he, he wilds out sometimes because he's 11. That's what he's supposed to do, right? We, we know this. Uh, 11-year-olds have been the same for thousands of years. They just do stupid stuff. So he comes to me the other day, he said, I said, how was your day? He's like, oh, well, I missed part of it. And I said, well, why did you miss part of it? He's like, well, because I got in trouble. And he's like, I'm like, well, what happened? He's like, oh, we're in a play yard. We had a little tussle, blah, 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 blah. It's the usual nonsense that happens between fifth grade boys. saying, okay, so then what happened? He's like, well, then I had to go sit in the office. And I said, okay, well, how long is in the office for? He said, about 45 minutes. I said, well, so that means that you didn't get whatever was happening in your class for 45 minutes? He's like, yeah. And I said, well, does this happen a lot? He's like, yeah, dad. And I said, I uh, thought about it. And every day he comes back. He's like, yeah, I missed a part of class because of this, because of that. And these aren't major behavioral infractions where we're getting a phone call, right? It is an adult choosing to talk to my boy. Uh, it's just that conversation takes so long. He's missing core instructional time. Uh, and nobody at the school thinks about it. Uh, in San Francisco, this years ago, we had, we funded uh, a bunch of schools to do equity center professional learning communities. And I remember, I never get this conversation with this principal who wanted to join, who wanted to get their school into our program. I said, well, tell me what's the topic. And she's like, honestly, I've been walking down the school hallways and I noticed last week half the black boys were sitting outside of the classroom. <laughs> and she said, and she said, I, she's like, I, was, I had not actually paid that much attention. These are all black boys. So I just wow. started keeping track. And realize that we are costing our black boys hours of instructional time every week. And then surprised when they aren't learning what they need to be learning. So to me, that's actually the deep structure stuff. And that's the stuff that, uh, that for all the district's good work on boys and men of color, getting at, getting at that level of how the system operates is not where that work is. Both because that level of the system is very resistant to that feedback, uh, very resistant to that type of improvement. Um, uh, and, and, and that's just, so that I think is where the gap is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, that, that, that little story anecdote reminds me of just like so often, like I've, I agree, Chris, I've shared so much from the office of equity, um, you know, from Oakland, you know, with people as they're trying to, you know, uh, do work around it, but like the, the pervasive mindset around about black kids is very, um, different. And even if it, when you say to, you know, educators, teachers, like don't, put kids in the hallway, you know, for, you know, 20, 30 minutes, like there's pushback on, oh, there's no, the, the culture of the building is going down. If you don't, uh, you know, keep these kids from learning, keep these kids from being educated, you know, particularly around, you know, more nuisance behavior, more uh, normal human growth and development behavior. Uh, it, it's like, unfathomable like across the country how many people would say like hey that child should not be educated because they're goofing around right sharif we don't know why you're so dark but we appreciate that your 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 window not you as a person (laughs) (laughs) first of all i gotta i gotta come on this show and deal with colorism it looks like twitter feedback on this is gonna be exactly sharif is a beautiful black man but uh, it looks like he is recording from a dark closet right now. We just listen. Uh, Philly okay. got Philly got money issues too, man. I got sensor lights. If I don't move, 
the lights go off. We're trying to save <laughs> That's money. Right. That's right. It's all good. Being good know? for the environment, you judging the environmental down. justice, and he doing right? the colorism jokes. You know, <laughs> wow. my black wow. is beautiful, baby. Uh, wow. But it, but here here's the question that I want to ask everybody on the panel, right? And and you know, I have my thoughts as a person, as a student who was impacted by a five week strike. But what what happens to so after this strike, right? And like, let's say, let's say I, I fully support it. Let's say, give them everything that they need. I support teachers and all that and everything, right? What happens to black students after this strike? And, and, and when can black and when can students start to say, okay, now that you got everything you wanted, I expect A, B, and C to happen. And, and should black families have to wait? Is it is it in a few months? Is it a year? Is it five years? Like, what happens after all this goes down? And I'm so, asking everybody on the panel. So the problem with public education, especially in places like Oakland, Baltimore, Richmond, first 48 cities, is that there aren't any real accountabilities in terms of like the outcomes for students. And so, you know, it it has to be some kind of measure that's put in place to where we look at test scores, outcomes, student growth, things of that nature, like accountability, things that are dirty words to teacher unions, but things that should be happening and conversations that should be happening on a more consistent basis about accountability for our kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, Dirk, I, I oh, I, go ahead, Chris. Well, I, I feel like there's always a level of truth that's not being told in these situations. The level of truth that's not being told in this situation is that teachers unions just aren't good partners when it comes to negotiating these things with the school district. This kind of like constant uh, culture of grievance, this kind of constant, if I don't get what I want, I will walk and I will get the the entire city to be against you. The idea that you would try and make your employer look bad in the public so that you could get what you want and use kids as a tool for the extortion is something no one tells the truth about. Having been a school board member, I could tell you these things are nasty, they're transactional, and they're straight up dirty. They're just straight up business. It has nothing to do with kids and the public would never know that because the public is never in the room. These things have to come out to light. These people need to be negotiating these contracts in public. These things need to, there is no good reason why these things happen behind closed doors. These things should actually be on cable access television so that people can hear and see what is at play and and what people are talking about. Because I can guarantee you it's not kids. It is never about the children. It is always about the dollars. Mm. Dirk, what do you think happens uh, after this strike? Because uh, I think the strike is pretty imminent. Yeah. What do you oh, think yeah, the state of, happening. what would be the state of, uh, and here's a personal plug for the, the work that we do together, but what do you think that would be the state of Black education in Oakland post this strike? It's going to depend on what the community does. Like, the, the, the strike is going to do nothing for Black kids um, at the end of the day. Um, paying teachers 3 or 4% more um, will not change the outcomes for our students. Um, what will do that is what we do after this and thinking about this. So some of the stuff you've talked about, um, you know, they're smaller pieces, but they do matter. Um, Student having a voice in terms of selecting and retaining teachers will matter um, in terms of making the system better. If kids could vote for school board, that could certainly matter. Um, You know, having black goals for black teachers. And again, I think the accountability, it's just not just black teachers, but there's gotta be an accountability there around quality, though we do know there is an effect that black teachers tend to have on black students and positive. Um, but it's, it's gonna be up to us ultimately to think about how we, we need to reimagine what we're gonna do in Oakland 
Um, and I think that'll be some of the work of Silvio going forward. It's really like we've seen a lot of things that have not really worked or have half worked for a little while. Um, what's a new vision of something that can actually be different and work? Dr. B. Uh, I think, you know, at post-strike, I, I actually don't think very much will change uh, for Black students. I think, um, you know, you see, um, you know, that both the L.A. contract, the Sacramento contract were actually pretty fiscally uh, irresponsible agreements because they didn't do much to improve the underlying fiscal condition of the system. So, you know, Oakland is not in state receivership today because, uh, in essence, the state is agreed to come and pick up uh, 75% of their projected structural deficit this year, 50% next year, and 25% the year thereafter. And so uh, if, you know, if we don't get the district into a fiscal condition where there, where you can actually make real investments, uh, whether it's investments in teacher quality, uh, investments in support programs, whatever, uh, you, 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 you really don't have the space to do much else. Uh, except for provide the bare minimum, which we have already established is uh, not remotely sufficient. So, um, you know, I think I don't, I, I'm pretty skeptical that much uh, will come out of it. I'm very skeptical that the teacher raise will actually make that much of a difference in terms of, um, you know, both both providing compensation for quality teachers uh, in the, one of the most expensive rental regions on the planet Earth. Like it just, it just, that none of this makes sense. Um, if what you want is to get the district into a strong fiscal position so that way it can invest in its own success, um, then I suspect not very much will change. Um, and to be clear, we've pre we're also pretty aware that the strike is not really about Oakland, right? That the, the strikes uh, in California have very much been about uh, the teachers union wanting to put pressure on the state to increase funding for education. We can agree or disagree whether that, whether that's a good end, whether or not this is a good means to achieve that end. Um, but that is very much, uh, very much the assumption. If I ran a district and my teachers were not in an active contract, I would just plan to assume, uh, I would simply plan for that they are going to strike at some point uh, and prepare to deal with that eventuality, uh, which is which is kind of crummy in many ways. But that's where we're at. I, 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 the question I would, this is how I would answer that question. And I would ask Dirk and, and and Dr. B, what is what do you think is the quote unquote the best high school in Oakland? What gets touted as the best high school in Oakland? Oh well, that what gets be... touted or what's the best? No, no, just what gets touted as the best high school in Oakland? Uh, well, probably Oakland Tech is typically. Dirk, would you agree? It's Oakland yeah, Tech. So let me just so here here's here's the conversation I'm having with my the young people that I work in my organization. And I don't tell them how to think or where to go on any of this stuff. If they want to support the strike, I support them. If they don't, I, like, I'm, I'm supporting young people in their learning, right? Oakland Tech last year had 135 black seniors. Of those 135, 118 graduated. But of the full number, 53 graduated having met UC uh, A through G requirements, yeah. meaning that out of 135 black students that graduated, I mean, that were eligible to graduate last year, only 53 of them graduated, even able to apply to state college. At Fremont High School, which is largely a Latino school, they had 36, a cohort of 36 black seniors last year. 25 graduated. Only four students graduated having met A through G requirements. Out of 35. Hi, 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 hi. That last school that you said uh -huh. should close. 
So I'm just I'm just saying, right? And I mean, and also, and when we look at that, right? Some people might say, well, that's the heavy Latino school. So apparently they're killing it with Latino students, right? Well, Fremont, the same high school, had 141 Latino seniors last year, 66 graduated, and 26 graduated being ready, having completed A through G requirements. And when I say with A through G requirements, I'm not even saying that they killed it in A through G. I'm not even saying like they had mastery. I'm saying that they got a passing grade in all of their A through G requirements. So when I look at that, right, there were there were only 600, last year there were only 600 black students seniors last year and less than 250 graduated ready to go to a four-year university out of how many graduates 618 last year so 618 black students last mm-hmm. black black no, seniors six, last so year. Six, no 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 that's not my question 618 graduated 250 mm-hmm. were ready to go to college but what was the total cohort how many black white however many we'll find that on the dashboard and get that back to you. But it was a lot because uh, it was a lot more than that. All so. students last 16, 17 was 1,892. So how much? 18, 1,900. 1,900 students. And how many graduated? Uh, 1,900 students graduated. Of the 1,900 students that graduated system-wide, all ethnic groups, uh, about 44% or 833 were A through G qualified and 56% were not. And I just just to remind, A through G is a default curriculum for mm-hmm. Oakland. So there's a big campaign a long, uh, several years ago statewide to make A through G the default curriculum. Uh, what we know gets in the way of this. Uh, actually, this is a great story about Oakland Tech. Uh, a few years ago, we funded a report that found that about half of the high schools were configured such that it's actually impossible for a child uh, to meet the number of uh, instructional hours mm-hmm. to be qualified for A through G, um, and that's a design issue. And that's why I keep saying this is this is a design of the school thing. Uh, so what really needs to happen is we need to slightly extend the school day a bit. Um, and the the that that actually was an issue at Oakland Tech because uh, the a number of the teachers there didn't want to do that. Uh, okay, see, this is this is where it's going to like make me sad right here. This so, is I mean, so it's a, so it legitimately <laughs> took uh, it took an enormous amount of fighting to get folks to say, all right, we recognize that the design of our system is such that it is actually getting this result. And if we don't like the result, then we need to attack the design. So I would say when I see 18% black students graduating, if you qualify 20%, 30%, those are actually design issues. Those aren't, those aren't, those aren't what are the, what are the skills and capacities of the children? That's like, you know, if a kid fails a class, there's no way for them to become A3G qualified without heroic effort. If a kid just shows up every day and graduates, they're not going to end up A3G qualified. It only it really takes heroic effort uh, to do that. And, uh, you know, that 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 is neither replicable nor scalable uh, nor manageable. Um, and it's also not coming up in this conversation around this strike. Right. Like that's, that's not it. something that's coming that's up. It. So. So, Chris, what so you had a you had a. a, a you just had a reaction, Chris. I want to. I want to give you the space to to, to complete that reaction. Brother. Oh what boy, your, what were your thoughts? I mean, my, my my thoughts is this is why. Like, why isn't this the thing that comes up as we're talking about a city about to go on strike about education? You won't go on strike about like you know uh, pay and and uh, charter schools and and everything else. But what I, if you wanted to be a good partner? If the district wanted to be a district of good partners, working their stuff out as adults. Everybody would come to the table and say, this negotiation is going to start with these numbers. It's going to start with these design issues that Dr. Brian is talking about. This is a design problem. This isn't a, a software problem. It's a hardware problem, right? Yeah. So we're all going to sit together 
as designers and come out this and we're going to make our city proud of us. Right. We're going to show the city something. And as educators, we're going to show up and say, this is what we're willing to contribute. Mm-hmm. This is what we're going to do. We have studied and analyzed the issue of what's going on with these bad numbers. And we've had figured out what our part of it is. And as mm-hmm. responsible adults, we're bringing to you, the district, our uh, platform for improved instruction. And this is what we need y'all to do. We need right. y'all to fix the design of the system that's making it hard for us to do it. Instead, we're having a completely alternative conversation. But I would also, and I would add this too, I agree with you. I, and I would say, you know, not that I'm caping for anybody, but I want to be very like- You're I don't, I don't, always caping for someone. You, you are. So, so, I, I mean, I, I know a lot of educators here. I know a lot of educators here. Right, I know, right. I know the same way that parents are not having these conversations or privy to a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is that a lot of educators don't know that this is really about like putting a, a, a taking a blow to charter schools or whatever the case is. Like some people do just need to really live, right? Like, I mean, let's just be very clear. Like living in Oakland, forty some thousand dollars, fifty some thousand dollars a year, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. And I say this as somebody who started as a social worker and my starting salary was thirty two thousand. And when I got to thirty six thousand, it was like, you know. I, I thought I was balling, right? Like, like, so the living wage thing is important. I think that what I'm saying is I think we can hold two troops. And I actually think that there are a lot of teachers, I know because I met them, that actually don't want to strike. That's actually like, you know what? Look, I don't want to be ostracized. I don't want to be that one person that does whatever. And some people are planning to like hold sessions in secret. Like some people are planning to like hold counsel at like the Starbucks or meet with their students in other places. Like there are some people that want to be in solidarity with a group that's trying to fight for them to have a living wage but also don't think that it's a good idea to have kids that are already behind miss substantial like, like class time. Right. So where are they? Where are they? Why aren't they talking? I got a, I got a question. Reef, mm-hmm. go ask your question, but I want to ask my question after you. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the one thing that they, when you're talking about that ostracization, you know, uh, is important. Uh, but also we need people to like stand up for kids, right? Like I, in Philadelphia, when we were, uh, you know, back in the day, it was on a strike. The people, you know, the so-called scabs who said, hey, I'm going to educate kids anyway or whatever, wherever they came from. If they stayed in the district, they had to have their own teacher lounge in the school. Mm. They could not like for decades, <laughs> <laughs> like there were two lounges, the ones, the lounge for the teachers who who were on the picket line and a lounge for the teachers who crossed the picket line. Forget wow. the kids. Like it's never about the kids. Yeah. Um, and then my other question, well, my question actually is, uh, you know, for for uh, Doc and Dirk, we've been talking about this idea, like, you know, as this strike wave gains momentum across the country, you know, there we need to come back to a time where, you know, black families are the ones doing the striking, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. because it's a power play. And so we're saying, you know what, if all power to the people then the striking really needs to happen. But based off the, all the results that you said, you know, that, and again, it's not, you know, just Oakland, that they, that these black families say, you know what, enough is enough is enough. Like we're going to, you know, everyone's talking about ending into generational poverty. So those black families say, you know what, you're contributing. These public schools are contributing. They're the cause of much of, and again, schools don't do it on their own, but they are, they are, definitely one of the primary catalysts for for perpetuating the intergenerational poverty. So what does that look like if black fan, I think in a lot of ways, you know, outside of the uh, the schools in the South, 
Oakland also played a pivotal role in just the idea of black education, independent schools, and so on and so forth. And like, how do we like just, you know, I, I really think that has to be part of the answer for this ever to change. Because as Chris said, like this is systemic in every single city, you know, black, black outcomes are basically the same. Mm-hmm. Dirt? Yeah, that, that. It's yeah. <laughs> um, that's where we are. Um, one thing I would say about Oakland, though, is we do have a high school that does graduate 94.1% of black kids A through G. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a couple that are over 90% for black kids A through G. Can they be replicated? Uh, that's the question, I think. It's really like, you know, we, we push. They're all charters, I'd also say. Would you like me to, 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 to be fair? To be fair, would you all like me to read those numbers? <laughs> yes, I would love you okay. to. Yo, I, man, I'm about to dig so, my tail on this bitch. Yo, y'all always caper for charters. Y'all always caper for charters. Why y'all trying to privatize? Ray, can I read the numbers? Yeah. Okay, Yale in the, okay. So Envision Academy, uh, 34 black students last year, 32 graduated, 32 graduated having met A through G requirements. They take so clap. 13, 13 uh, black students, 12 graduates, 12 graduated having met A through G requirements. Oakland School of the Arts, 21 black students, seniors, 21 graduated, 19 graduated having met A through G. And then uh, COVA, uh, which is a charter school, 11 cohort, nine graduated, nine graduated having met A through G. And then Oakland Military Academy, 25 cohort, 20 graduates, and 17 uh, met uh, A through G requirements. Yo, so are these those- tiny schools? Like what, like 11 black kids of graduates? Like what kind of Yeah, school? most of the charters, the biggest you're going to get is a cohort of 100. And a lot of them have a cohort of around 50. Um, for the high schools. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and, if you and have like only eight, black students. 32 at Envision, that's about a third of their cohort. Probably there are probably 100 kids in that high school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the 12th grade graph class of the high school. I mean, do yeah, they you know, think that they could do this at scale? Or are they saying like, hey, we're only successful because we have this tiny drop of the population? Or the are their systems and their, their mindset systems and effectiveness so awesome that they can say like, hey, we can replicate and we can grow this to scale. I, I think I, it's different for different folks. Uh, go ahead, Dirk. I, I think many schools with growth facilities are just crazy. It's imp- facilities are crazy. Yes. Um, and I mean, but let's give, give them the example of how crazy it is, Dirk. So for instance, if a school is trying to get space here, right, and they have, there's buildings, right, they'll get, the district will give them uh, a proposal and it'll say, okay, a quarter of your students could be at this high school. And another quarter of your students can be on this campus, yep. and then we'll put the rest of your students on this campus, right? Yep. To which a school would be like, well, forget it. We're not going to do that, right? And then they'll yep. try to get, you know, some other land that's on that's for sale or try to get something else, and then they'll get boycotted. And they're also competing in the hottest market in, in the country for real estate with, with Salesforce and all these other companies. If you're in your little charter school, they can't borrow money. Um, it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have capital. Um, and so you're doing some junky build, like, you know, the buildings are, are a real challenge here. And, and again, you pay 2000 bucks per kid out of an 11,000 per pupil 
for facilities for some of our schools. That sounds like a city problem, though. That sounds like a city council that needs to start putting in mixed use uh, community impact agreements with developers. Because if it's that hot and people want to be there, Salesforce should have a top floor, a 12th floor just for community purpose. But getting back to Sharif's question around like scalability, charter schools would have to step it up and take over a big high school. Because right now, what it could easily look like is, of course, you're graduating 11, 20, 30 kids. You're probably getting the best of the best in the city, um, the most motivated and all of that, like the ones who have parents that will move them around. So it'd be nice for you to take over, uh, you know, what's it, McClemens, McClemens, whatever you're, you know, take over a bigger school and do something with it and show something so you have something to show. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think to that point, uh, you know, the if you do i think the schools that have 90% african american uh students graduating and qualified have taken have sort of done work to sort of have an intentional stance that is producing that no actually i don't i feel pretty positive that um that a gigantic chunk of that is a function of who those kids are that show right. up right i mean school of the arts is a performance yeah. audition only uh <laughs> It's a great art school. I mean, they've yeah, been, yeah. they've done some. They those. Kids I mean, Kaylani is from that school. Fabulously talented. I mean, and, and like, I mean, like national superstars came from that right, school. Yeah, like Kaylani is one of the biggest pop stars in the country. Right. right. I was about to say, so I'll he, Google. He I'll Google for somebody. He's taping for somebody. I'm just telling so, you the facts. So, <laughs> I don't know who that is, bro. Who is that, Kaylani? Somebody, somebody he's caping for. Uh, I don't know. Like, how <laughs> is, how is, is, how is, to know who that is. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I, so I, so I do think there's a there's for me at least a real question of, uh, you know, is this intentional or is this accidental? And it, and don't get me wrong, it's great for those kids. Thumbs up, good on you. Right. Um, but mm-hmm. but if those 32 kids went to Fremont, do you think they'd have that same graduation rate, even I if they came in at ninth grade with that same motivation? Yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, you know, if my kid went to if my kid went to a school that had 18.4 percent African American African Americans graduating at uh, a university qualified, uh, I'm still pretty sure my kid would get what they needed, and I'd make sure of that. Um, but it would be a different level of struggle. Um, and mm-hmm. I think it would demand sort of my full attention, my, my, my wife's full attention to make that happen. Uh, I also think I've been reading, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, uh, Tressie McMillan Cotton. She's written, she's written a bunch of really great stuff. She has a new book out called Thick. Uh, and, uh, one of the points she makes in, in one of the, one of the sections of her book is that, um, you know, any system of oppression must allow expression, must allow exceptions, to validate itself as meritorious. And so I think we lift lift up these exceptions to say, see, this shit works, right? Or the black kid that graduates from a school where not very many black kids graduate from, it's like, see, it works. When in fact, uh, we actually know it doesn't. All all the other data says this isn't working. And we hold on to the Charles or the Brian that graduated from this broken system to say, nah, it's good. And that actually then lets us um, lets us then to some extent begin to accept our own oppression, right? That it says that's that's white, well, it was acceptable to work for Charles, so maybe it'll work if I send my kids to that same broken system, even though the odds are very much right. not in your favor. And I would even argue it wasn't that system, right? It was, it was my church taught me about leadership. That's where I gave my first talk. The boys club is what made me make sure that I passed those classes and did homework, right? Like wanting to play basketball may, meant that I had to have a certain GPA Which in order still to do a that. question that I have because I don't believe that. Ray, you trash. So like, <laughs> so, 
So, I, would, I mean, I just want to say that, you know, that's, I mean, but that's, that's white America's favorite story is the, yes. the Negro that, that made it, you know, that way they can ignore all the system issues and point to them and say like, Hey, if they do it, all of y'all should do it. And disregarding the whole, the entire system that's, that's been built on the backs of these black communities mm-hmm. and structured in a way where the, the spigot is off. You get the drop, per drop, per drop, every single, and every, in all aspects of it. And like that, that is the issue. Like they're not interested in changing things to really tip the scales back in favor of black and brown communities, because that's what equity that leads to justice means. But it doesn't feel like we're, we're interested in it either. I mean, like we're we're more interested in the the talented 10th. Well, we're, like, yeah, we're, we're more interested in, in yeah. Kaylani and shit, but I mean, like, listen, the, the, the why thing. You, why you hate on Kaylani? I'm just saying, like, right. Like, no, don't get them riled up. You see, they said they're the Oakland hero. What's wrong with you? All I'm saying is. Man, too short is the Oakland hero. That's true. That is very true. That should that will be the intro and the outro. Anyways, um, this is the thing for me is we know that it's like rain or, or the weather. I've said this in a recent piece that I wrote, that racism is what it is. It, it's like the water we breathe it's the air so talking about it as if it isn't just like talking about the weather is not going to be helpful but what are we doing right we've got so many negroes working in these systems uh um, like like one thing i noticed looking at the oakland numbers is majority of teachers are white but the majority of the staff is black majority of the like district staff and the people if you look at who runs the thing you know it's a very black organization and that is city by city I could point you to any blue city in America that has a crappy school district and that's going to be the same thing. It doesn't feel like we're very radical. Um, knowing that the public is racist and the system is racist and it's going to be and has been racist. Like th- these are the unmovable start things. A whole other show, man. We, we're going to have to come back and do that show. I mean, cause that's a, I think that's a big conversation. I think that all three of us could actually have a lot of input being as like uh, working in that system and kind of seeing how things happen or what doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but, but you know, I know we've gone over an hour for the most part. So can we get final thoughts and we'll let our guests go first. Uh, Dirk, you want to start with your final thoughts, then Brian, and then I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to the, to the eight black hands crew. Yeah. I'll try to keep a, a positive final thought. Um, <laughs> um, I think that we, oh, okay. we can learn from, from the excellence that we do see. Um, and we can also learn from the failures we see. Um, and just, and part of it is doing, it has to be different. Like just doing a little bit more of this, a little bit better of the same will not work. Um, Oakland's in trouble. Um, when the elephants fight, the grass gets trampled and in Oakland, you got like a broke ass elephant that can't even feed itself. You got another hungry elephant that can't really afford its house. Um, you got another set of elephants in the charter schools that are just struggling to get in their houses themselves and keeping their heads down. And they're all bumping into each other. Um, and kids are going to be out of school. Adults are going to be fighting. Nothing's going to get better. Um, there's not going to be more money from the state, most likely. And at some point, we got to move beyond that kind of a battle. Um, I, it's hard to see people attack our black super. You know, not you know, we have a superintendent who doesn't hate teachers. We have charter schools that don't hate kids. Um, it's all the same kids and families just struggling for better. And they're the ones that are going to lose in this thing. And I don't see any vision to make it better unless we do something ourselves. Damn, that was the happy one. 
That was, <laughs> uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, sir. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I won't be very happy either. That I'm afraid. Um, I think until you improve the underlying fiscal condition of the resources that you have, uh, then the system will continue to get these results. I think until you attack uh, and really uh, pretty critically interrogate um, the design of the system. Uh, then you're going to continue to get these results, like right, like these results are a feature, not a bug, of of the system, and, and we need to sort of address that issue. Uh, I do think where there can be opportunity, where there can be hope, are actually probably things are much, much, much closer to much, much, much closer to schools. Uh, generally, my rule is at this point, the closer you are to a child, the more likely you are to be able to create some positive benefit for that child. Um, it, it, so I think when we, um, at the EFM, we did a bunch of partnership work to bring in resources that went directly to, into the hands of principals and directly to the hands of classroom teachers, uh, to whether that is deep training for those teachers on, uh, things that, that need to be improved in terms of their instructional practice and some coaching and support directly on those things, uh, whether it is more assets and resources. So that way, if the school community says, Hey, we really need support for X issue or Y issue, uh, then they have some dollars in their pocket to be able to move directly on that. Uh, and those places and spaces, you can begin, you see some positive movement. I think one of the particularly good ones we were able to do is uh, we did a ton of work around middle grade math because math, as we've established, uh, is an area where we've just struggled. Uh, and so we saw some really good progress on middle grade math um, in, in a handful of schools, primarily for black children. Uh, and that is work we're very proud of. So I think that's sort of what can be hopeful, um, but I think all of that really sits within a broader a context, a broader ecosystem of uh, both, inst both fiscal instability, some pretty blatant, straight up, good old fashioned racism, uh, and uh, a real lack of ambition mm. uh, and a real lack of, of will, both at both at the broader public. And I think even among uh, some folks who, who lead our systems um, for the types of real changes that would need to be true in order to permanently and durably shift those outcomes. I think last story, the thing, one of the funny things about Oakland that I was really curious about, uh, given how segregated our city has always been, and therefore the schools are also segregated, is how come there was never a consent decree? There was never a legal document that said you got to bus kids from West Oakland to the hills, what have you. Uh, and one of the one of the pieces in terms of this is uh, to get back to uh, Chris's question about we have we have lots of black folks that run these systems. Uh, in Oakland, the way that fight manifests is really different from San Francisco uh, and other communities around here is that it quickly became a conversation about power. In the 1960s, uh, white folks were both on the, in charge of school board and in charge of the schools. Uh, and as um, the city really began to uh, wrestle with the implications of the Black Power Movement and the Panthers, instead of saying we want a legal remedy for school integration, what we said in Oakland is we actually we just want to be in charge of the shit. And we'll do it ourselves. Sorry, you can beat that out, Charles. Um, we curse. And so, oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Oh, yeah, they're they're unabashed. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, I think the underlying assumption was that if we had the power, then we could make sure that, that the systems would work for us. And I don't think that's proven out. I think mainly that's not proven out well because the broader structure is specifically designed to not actually work out for us. And so, even though you have black faces in charge of a system that's designed to destroy black people, it does not necessarily mean that that system will suddenly stop destroying black people. Yeah. Um, Sharif, you want to give us your final thoughts? Sure. Um, you know, one, the, you know, children are our future. Dr. Santi over here at Temple says, you know, not only are children our future, but they will also be our fate. 
And so uh, the children of Oakland, children of Philadelphia and everybody in between is uh, the eight million. They're in peril. And so, you know, we have to really recognize that the, the systemic issues that continue generation to generation will continue until, as Dr. Stanley just alluded to, like we have to, I do believe like the really only hope um, in the short term is to really return to the black radical tradition um, around education. And, you know, as far as specifically around the strike, like everything has to be aligned to the outcomes that we desire. So higher pay, smaller classroom sizes has to directly impact student outcomes. And so not just for higher pay sake, not just for smaller class sake, but like absolutely aligned to improving the outcomes. And so that's, you know, that's, that's until that's part of the equation, we're just going to continue to have demands, demands met or not met, and still no outcomes that are different, as you said, from the 50s and 60s, or ever, ever since we started going to, to, these, uh, to these schools. Mm. Ray? Go to Chris. Chris? Uh, <laughs> go after me. Um, listen, I think we're going to see this in other cities. I think Oakland is a, you know, a second battlefield. There, the, the dynamic is being run of, you know, there's only two ways you could do this. One way is teachers can stay and suck it up and just take things that they're not supposed to take. The other way is that they could walk out and have a strike and, uh, you know, make a, a school district come to its knees and then get their demands met. I think communities need to start pushing these people to do a third thing, which is instead of walking out, walk your ass in the city hall, sit down with that mayor, that city council, with your school board, with everybody represented, have it be transparent and open to the public and decide as a city what you're going to do for 48,000 children in a city like Oakland, be responsible adults, sit down and say, who's got what power, who's got what resources, what structures do we need to fix and make it a collaborative effort to save the children of the city. This walking out on children nonsense has got to stop. And it's got to stop now because it's becoming an outbreak in city after city after city. And when it's done, I think some of y'all said it earlier, when it's done, nothing is better for the children of Los Angeles and Denver, of Oakland, of anywhere else that this is going to happen. So we need city leaders. We need NAACP leaders and black clergy and, and black city electeds to come together privately and say, we're not going to do this in our city. We're sorry, teachers. We're going to work together. Y'all going to come to one table. We're going to have one database. We're going to share one set of data and we're going to talk this thing through and we're going to get something done for our kids because that's what responsible adults do. Chris, you expecting Julian to do that? Okay, no. bro. See, now why? You <laughs> why? 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 Like, this is going to get messy. Ray, give your final thoughts, Ray. <laughs> okay. So my final thoughts are this. All right, Emden, stop it. Yeah. The new style came, the bass got deeper. You gave up the mic and got you a beeper. Do you want to rap or sell coke? Brothers like you ain't never broke. What are I, you doing? I had no idea what he, I, I don't know what part of the show this is. I don't, I don't either. I, this is, this is the, how whack can you be part of the show? <laughs> Like, this is the whack off? Is this that, the was whack a two off? Short, that was that was no, that was straight from too short. Life is baby. I know what it's from, bro. I know what yeah. it is. Well, I didn't know. Thank you for explaining that. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. You can't have a show with Oaklandites 
and not represent for too short, man. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. Wait a minute. You you got Huey Newton. You got like a whole list of folks, and we're we're like breaking up too short. And, and, and you got and you got Oak Town three five seven. All this part needs to just be cut out. I just want to say that <laughs> all of it, right? Like let's <laughs> let's tread lightly here. <laughs> all right, all right. What are your final thoughts, my brother? I own this. I own this. All right. So my fi- my final thoughts are the fact that you know it, in these cities, first of all, I want teachers to get paid. So no no doubt about that. I think that everybody all teachers deserves, right. Everybody no 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 no. Hear me out. Hear me out. I think that everybody deserves a fair wage, right? I would love to see a structured system to everybody. where, let me finish. I would love to see a structured pay system to where those that perform and that are accountable and that bring results for kids get paid more than an actual regular person that's a shit teacher. That, that's what I would like to see. But I do shit think- teacher not be there, right? Yeah, but there's a teacher's <laughs> like, like, like I'm gonna pay you. You're garbage. Kids are drowning in your class, but uh-huh. I'm gonna pay you a you know, I'm gonna pay you. no get them like, no help them improve, but everybody's not a teacher. Why why I, I I sound like me, Sharif? Why, why I are you trying to sound like me? I refuse, no, I'm just saying like, why you're in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, the, the final thoughts just went off the rails. Uh, Ray, are you done with your final thoughts so I can get mine? Please give yours, Caper. Caper, just a hater, man. Uh, but first off, man, I will start by saying, like, I mean, I love Oakland, and I think that, like, you know, the messiest type of war, the worst type of war to have is a civil war, right? Because in a civil war you know, you, you essentially is fighting like your neighbor, right? And like, what do you do when all the hysteria leaves, when the national folks leave and you just left with who you are and what you got, right? And, you know, and I think that that's why it's tough because we have, you know, the people that was on the front lines on Friday were students that were leading the walkout. And it were students that really do believe that if their teachers get the things that they're asking for, that they're going to get something better. And then what happens when and if they don't? Who's going to then stand up for them, right? Like, why, like, I don't want to see a movement of something where kids get burnt in the process and don't get anything to show from it. And so, like, I'm trying to think and just struggle through how to be a, a, a good city leader, how to make sure I'm supporting kids. And also, there are some good educators here, right? And, like, and I don't think everybody knows everything that's happening. I actually love the idea that Chris had. I think it was the best idea that came out is – Let's that's fine. Let's go. Let's go forward all this. And let's have negotiations be on C-SPAN. Like, let's have negotiations be on television. We ain't got to make it on Channel 2, but let's have it to where people can actually stream in and see and see what's happening. And then let's have a stream at the bottom where parents can just ask questions and be like, wait, I didn't hear anything in there about my child. I didn't hear anything in there about doing better. I didn't hear anything in there about what we don't get our stuff together in three years, four years, five years. X happens. Right. And so, um, I think that we're in just a really tough time, but some of us are kind of stepping back because of the wisdom that we have from just kind of being here where this used to get a lot more of my attention and emotion before, like, you know, after you see things play out over and over again, you start to think about what, what's going to happen when it does settle. So I want to thank everybody for being on this show. I think it was an, an amazing show. I want to thank our esteemed panel and our guests for coming in and giving us a lot of information. Um, we'll, this is something that we'll keep our eye on. Uh, you can find State of Black Education Oakland, which will be continuing to write on this and to publish on this. And hopefully they'll have a, 
a podcast of their own at some point, just because there are a lot of folks watching the situation. Uh, once again, you have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast. Thank you, thank you all so much. And as always, our focus has and will always be the state of black education for the eight million black children here in this country. Take care. All the shit I've been through only made me more rather than assassin. I kill him, I kill him, I kill him with compassion. And baby, if they ask him, tell him, tell him, tell him, tell him.